Hey, Dave here. Before launching into this episode, I have a couple things to go over. First, huge thanks to everyone who's already downloaded and listened to the interview I did with Gazo, which we released on June 1st. Its release date was the biggest first day of downloads we've ever had, which was pretty cool and elicited some great feedback. Dick Finkel, founder of the Edmonton International Street Performers Festival, chimed in to provide the following correction in an email he sent me. Just for the record, he said, in your intro to Gazo's interview, you mentioned that he was at our first festival. Not so. He did play here a couple of times, but not until at least our fifth or sixth year. So I stand corrected. Next, I'm delighted to let you know that we have another sponsor. Darka Tarnowski from Bottomline Productions, official marketing company for the Edmonton International Street Performers Festival, stepped up to provide the funds necessary to produce this episode. So if you're in Edmonton and you run into Darka, please do say a great big thank you to her for her awesome support. Finally, I'm uber excited to let you know that about 90% of the heavy lifting for this episode was handled by associate producer for the Busker Hall of Fame, Magic Brian. This is huge, and I'd like to personally thank him for doing such a great job on this one. All right, let's get to it. I had some funny stories where I was like juggling fire and I was using white gas and I was at Grand Blount and I did like three or four small, tiny little shows that day. And I didn't know anything about fuel. I'm an idiot. And I was, like, re-dipping the torch lit into, like, white gas. Oh, Jesus. I know. And then it would just, like, went up in flames, the thing. And then I tried to, like, pick up the container and, like, spilt. And then flames went up. And then I'm trying to stomp the fire out. And then when I was stomping the fire out, all the change from my last shows, I just put in my pockets. And then they just, it all, like, fell out through these cracks of the wood down into the water. It was just, like... And that was the only reaction I got in that show. Like, it was just a bunch of people in benches, and they were just like, whatever. And then they started laughing. That was the only thing that got a reaction, and it was just a disaster. Were the other performers sitting around? No, no, the performers were sitting around watching that one. I was, like, in some shitty spot. Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, your host for this growing collection of interviews. This episode is being released on July 1st, which just happens to be Canada Day. As a result, we're featuring another Canadian busker who's been in the game for over 20 years and has traveled around the world with his street show, stand-up comedy, and acting abilities. Now, it gets mentioned in the interview that I actually got to witness Byron Bertram's first ever attempt at a street show at the beginning of the summer of 1994, and from the get-go, I knew he had what it takes to become a really successful street performer. Blind ambition, an unstoppable work ethic, and the sort of tenacity that just doesn't give up. This drive and determination was both an asset and a liability, though. In performance, it meant that his show got better because he was willing to try anything. Offstage, it sometimes felt a bit over the top when he hung out with other performers who were just interested in kicking back and relaxing. There's no question, though, that his persistence paid off, which can be clearly witnessed in the success he's had on the street, on stand-up stages, and in front of the camera, in a life that's filled with so many great stories from the pitch. All right, well, Byron, um, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me in your, your household. Yeah, it's nice to have you here. And letting me leave uh, Kleenex everywhere. And everywhere. Cups, everywhere. Just find it everywhere. Yeah. Cups and Kleenex. Yeah. That's the song right there. Cups and Kleenex. Everywhere. Everywhere and every day. Leaving shit around. Being shitty guests in a foreign country. At Brian's house. Thanks. Okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about street theater. 
Yes. And let's let's get, let's start at the beginning. I like to start things at the beginning. So why don't you tell me how you got started? Uh, how did I get started? Well, my basically I got um, uh, you know just being an insecure uh, only child who never got enough attention. I, I basically was Wait, always... You were an only child, you didn't get enough attention? Uh, uh, well, they no, I did. One, they only had one person to focus on. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think... It, no, I guess it was just basically... Uh, just being insecure. You, well, just, just you know, needing, just wanting more attention. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But anyway, so uh, I, I learned how to juggle in this theater program. Well, before that, I'll start before that. I I basically was really into theater and Saturday Night Live and, and stand-up comedy and, and just acting and... Just performing arts of a comedic kind of nature. At an early age, I was always a bit of a class clown, stuff like that. And then I, um, my mom's an artist, my dad's a musician, my grandfather was a, uh, a quite a well-known Canadian painter, and my great-grandfather was, uh, he was an actor as well. It's in your blood. It's in my blood, yeah, it's in my DNA. So I, um, you know, I was really in a high school drama class and all that stuff, and basically what happened in high school drama class, they had this thing called, um, well, they had these, these out, they had this thing called uh, Ilantis, which was this Vancouver, East Vancouver theater program for students at risk. And they, uh, like, it was basically like, you know, if, if you're not in an affluent area, we're giving back to the community. These rich Vancouver business people sponsored this, like, you know, summer school for theater, performing arts kind of thing. So instead of being gang members, you know, hey, you know, you could, uh, you could learn how to juggle. Right. <laughs> so what part of Vancouver did you grow up in? I grew up in East End, and it wasn't like ghetto-y, really, but it, was, it wasn't the richest neighborhood, and it was a bit of a rundown high school I went to. Yeah. Did you feel like you were at risk into becoming yeah, a gang be, member? Yeah. Well, no, because I wasn't Asian. Uh-huh. Yeah. I went to like an all-Chinese and East Indian school. I was like the token fat white kid. So massive insecurity there. Yeah. Uh, you know, just having a... Every day was just kind of stressful. <laughs> Just being a stupid guaylo, fat boy, so stupid, you know. <laughs> so um, basically, yeah. So so there's a thing called Atlantis, and it was it was a summer school for the performing arts, and they taught a bunch of things: acting, music, drama, mask and movement, video, drumming, and one of the courses they taught was called street theater. And wow! Like, wow! What the hell is this? And they taught juggling, unicycling, stilt walking, and it was like some variety entertainers were the instructors. Who do you remember who it was? Yeah, it was Mike, my friend Mike Batty. Taught me to juggle in San Northrop. They were the original two teachers. And what did, what was their background? Uh, they were juggler, variety entertainers. Not street performers. Just they, well, they didn't do like street street, but they just kind of did like, they did gigs, you know. Mm-hmm. It, like fairs and festivals yeah. and just hire, you know, hire me kind of, you know, corporate gigs or just walkabout gigs. You know, and basically everything a variety entertainer would do except street performing, which ironically they're teaching. Right. Well, that's um, all right, though. But that's fine. And when, what year is this? This is in 93. I was 15. Yeah, 93. So I loved that program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was... And at the end, uh, we put on this performance. We put on this little performance called... Uh, at the end of Violentis. It wasn't, well, it wasn't called anything. The Violentis. End of the end of the summer program. Mm-hmm. And they had the indoor... All the indoor component in the theater. But out, but before, it was kind of cool. Before we did the uh, the indoor thing... We did this, the street performing section of it. All these students would take turns doing a little thing. So you'd gather friends and family before they're coming into the theater. And they would they would stand outside and you'd gather around in this field right in front of the, the high school where they were using for the summer school. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I put together this little, little three-ball juggling routine, three beanbag juggling routine. 
I just got so addicted to juggling that summer. I learned how to juggle, and then I was just obsessed. Right. That's all you focused That's on. That's all. It was just insane. For, forgot I even like girls. I didn't even care. Yeah. Um, still to this day. Still to this day. Juggling made me gay. Mm-hmm. No. So anyway, so I learned how to juggle, and I was so enamored by it. And then I put together this little juggling routine. And uh, I guess I really stood out in my group because it was me, and it was a bunch of very shy. There was, like, a lot of really shy kind of insular kids uh, and I was sort of this gregarious, over-the-top, you know, teenager. Mm-hmm. And I just had so much energy, and I just wanted to perform and stand out. You know. <laughs> I, I was really annoying, too, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in a lot of ways. So I put together this little routine. You know, there was, like, a bunch of Chinese girls doing, like, Diablo spinning plates and stuff like that. And very shy, kind of like, I do the space spinning, I do the jogging. Just very kind of, and then I'm just like, hey, three balls, everybody, yeah, and everybody just kind of, you know, threw one up in the air, caught up my mouth, and everybody went nuts, and I just felt this, this ecstasy, wow, like, yeah. I never even felt to this day, I'm just like, this validation of, man, you were amazing, and I was like, I gotta do this, I gotta street perform, but, like, in that summer as well, I saw this guy, Angus, and he basically, and he was kind of an old-time street performer, he's been around and he, uh, for a long time, apparently, and he just did, like, this little show, and he got a big crowd. But it was fireworks night, so it was easy to get a crowd. But I thought, well, that's all you have to do. Mm-hmm. Just get a crowd easily, and they just put together this little juggling routine. So before before you did this, the the workshop, had you seen any street theater at all? I did, like, in hindsight, I think I did see these guys like Dick and Dick when I was a little kid. These two uh, guys from Vancouver who who uh, they had these long beards, and they did uh, this Fine, juggling I show. I think I had And I think I saw my friend Jeremy Eaton. He did something at the beach, and... Uh, at English Bay, so I kind of I had like in sort of this recollection of oh yeah maybe I did see some maybe I did see some street form but nothing really stood out as like that memorable mm-hmm. until I learned how to juggle and then I came upon it when I was like oh my god then you made a connection then I made a big connection like, oh. I was like I, this is what I'm doing yeah and I just fell in love with it so uh, amazing I was just like this is amazing you didn't think of going I want to do this on stage you went I want to do this on the street yeah but I was like I want to do this on the street but I also was like I still want to do stand up I want to maybe be a musician I want to be an actor I, you know I was all over the place yeah you knew you wanted to do something in the arts I know I want to well I, yeah I want to be like oh, performing I want to be, arts uh, yeah, performing arts I want to be in the performing arts so but street performing I was, I was mainly like nah I want to do this in the street that was my, my first and foremost kind of vision so I learned how to juggle so um and I put together this this little, yeah, juggling routine. So then I said, okay, next summer, I'm going to go out, because, you know, it's fall, winter, whatever. I was like, okay, next summer, I'm going to give myself a deadline, and I'm going to street perform next summer. When Somewhere I'm in Vancouver. Yeah, I'm going to go to English Bay. Oh, you knew where to go? For some reason, I knew where to go, even though, because I just saw him at the fireworks, and then people were like... Oh, yeah, people street perform down there quite a bit. And I'm like, yeah, I think I remember seeing that one as a kid. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really, it was just kind of hit me. And then I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll just go. I'll go down there. Well, nice night. Sunset is when more people come down there. I'm like, okay, great. And uh, I put together this little juggling routine. And uh, I did some talent show thing in high school. And, um, and I learned how to juggle clubs. And I learned how to juggle fire. And so basically I just, you know, had to do some basic... A juggling Easy show. juggling, yeah, just basic rudimentary sort of juggling skills, and then uh, I finally was like, okay, it's it's June, this is um, this is where I th- apparently it's going to get good, so I'm going to go down there and do a show, and I came down to English Bay in Vancouver with my mom and her friends. It's ninety four. It's ninety four. 
and I uh, was so nervous, and I didn't even know which way to face. I was like intimidated to like say anything. Was there anybody, to anybody else there lining up? You just there was nobody there. It was just me, and then I was like, what, "What's uh, hey, buddy?" I, you know, had no reaction. Couldn't get a crowd. I made like nine dollars or something like that. Like five it was from my mom and her friends. <laughs> and then right, That's all at, I gave you. Yeah, <laughs> they only gave you. Five. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then, <laughs> Is that bad. Yeah, I was like facing the wrong way. Apparently, in mm-hmm. hindsight, I just was like, you know, wait till people walk by, and I was like, hey, do you want to see a show? Okay, you know, just so <laughs> shot. I was just really nervous. I was yeah. shitting bricks, and I put together this little show called the History of Juggling. Where you had I a just, theme. I had this theme. I'm like, hey guys, we can do the History of Juggling. Anybody want to watch? Uh, uh, I was like, in the caveman days, they juggle rocks. <laughs> and then I would oh what I do I juggle three rocks and then I play like the Flintstones theme on my on my uh, my saxophone I brought a saxophone as well yeah the saxophone I was I was in band as well so I did that and then I was like oh and then the gold rocks I juggle gold bean bags and I played like something else I'm like they juggle gold bean bags uh, uh, and then I and it's like oh and then the sixties they juggle fire because they're hippies and. Uh, it was just, and then I don't so know. You, I said, you, play, come on, baby, you light my fire. Set something up, play the saxophone, put it. Yeah, down, then I set it up, put it. Yeah, and the juggle thing, then set it up, put it down, put it. And I passed the hat, and I made like nine bucks. It was just like, and I knew like this sucks. I knew it was embarrassing because I saw Angus had a big crowd, but it was fireworks. I'm like, oh, I just thought you could, you just you just go, hey, you're doing a show and big crowd comes up. and you can make like twenty bucks. Like I just know what. <laughs> Even instead of nine, you can make twenty. Yeah, it's like you can make because somebody told me it's like you can make like twenty bucks. <laughs> well, so I'm like, great, wow. And then right after that, this is ironic because um, uh, checkerboard guy David Aiken, who who runs this thing, he came down. Like I I think I started too early. He came down and I'm like, who's this guy? He looks slick and professional. He's got this whole checkerboard motif thing going on and then he was just like hey how you doing i'm like good and he's just like hey what you what? you know i'm like Burn. and then then i'm like uh he's like you're new eh and i'm just like yeah how did you know <laughs> yeah, like, uh, and he's just like well it's pretty obvious like he was nice enough <laughs> yeah. and then he and then he did a show and it i'm, I'm in recollection it was it was awesome it was huge like to this day i don't know how big it was in hindsight but it looked massive. Like he had this huge crowd. I'm like, wow, he's got all these tricks, all this crowd gathering technique. And he did this great show. And I was so inspired and jealous at the same time. I had this mixed emotion. It was just jealousy and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, oh my God, I got so much work I have to do. Yeah. And I remember just having this real competitive, just like chip on my shoulder. And, uh, and just, just thinking about it. And then, uh, what did I do? I looked up his name in the phone book. I think that's later back when that, people had phone books. Yeah, that's yeah. like in the yellow pages, yeah. the white pages. Yeah. And then the, the next day or something like that, I'm like, hey, uh, how do you street perform? <laughs> tell me. Hey, what do I do? Uh, tell me how to do it. Do you know how to do this? Can you tell me? Give and me then how he's like, yeah, you just got to keep working at it. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how do you get a crowd? He's like, I ah, just got to try it. But everything was so vague. I was so frustrated. I'm like, anyway, tell me. <laughs> And then I was asking, like, then I went to, like, Atlantis again, that theater program again, and I'm asking my, you know, and Mike Batty's teaching again, and I just wanted to be the best juggler in the, in that that program again. I went back, and and I was. It was like, people were like, wow, you're a really good juggler and all that. But I just felt like I had something to prove. I, want, I just wanted to be good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I kept busking that summer and going to this theater program and doing that, 
Did you and, try to figure out by doing it? No, I just ate a bag of dinks yeah. just for ages. And then, oh, and I saw this other guy, uh, Alex Elixir, came down. I saw these other performers coming down a lot. And then I was like, man, he, this slack rope show was just massive. It was like, oh my god, Tom Comet was going down. And then, and then, uh, saw Bill Ferguson. So um, this is all in English Bay. All in English Bay, and then all I went down to Granville Island. Yeah, I went down to Granville Island too. But <laughs> Granville Island was like a queue system, and I didn't get there till late. And then again, I was just this kind of small, you know, nothing. It's like, well, you know, kid, you're wasting the pitch. Yeah. And I thought they were all bullies. I thought they were all assholes. It was just like, you know, trying to push me around. I do whatever I want. I'm 16 and know everything. You yeah, know, whatever. So they just thought I was just annoying little punk. But in hindsight, I could see why, you know. They just thought I was annoying. Yeah. Because I didn't have a show and I was just You're 16 and I was just, you know, had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I was a, really that much of an asshole. I think I was just... Well, I was saying you were aggressive. Like, you just wanted to I was to just insecure and jealous and wanted yeah. to, you know. But I thought all these things were like, okay, how do you do a show? How do you get a crowd? Maybe if I... Maybe if I... If my juggling's a little better. I didn't know really about just, like, engaging the audience and having hyping a it up. And having a Yeah, and having kind of a character... You know, presenting what you're going to do and trying to, you know, it's all it's all show. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah. So it's like, maybe if I could do behind the back on the left side while juggling, that'll get a that'll get You know, I go, yeah. you know, ridiculous. So, but yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. So anyway, so anyway, so then, it, yeah, so I just kept busking my ass. And then all the other performers were started being kind of mean to me, I thought, because I was asking them too many questions. Then they were nice at first. First, initially, hey, kid, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And then after, I was like, oh, God, you again? Oh, Jesus, this kid just won't go away. You're just annoying. You're hanging around. You're just... Tell me, just tell me how to be good. Yeah, just tell me how to go. Can I tell you your clubs? Where do you, do you get these balls? Just question, 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 question. It's like, ugh, you know. Yeah. And then I met Bill Ferguson, too. He did this busker fest. And I think the first thing I said to him... He uh, was, because uh, <laughs> somebody told me a couple of, the perf- or some performers, oh, I don't like Bill, he's an asshole, or something like that. And I said, are you Bill Ferguson? I heard you're an asshole. <laughs> That's a good way to start a conversation Yeah, and then he's someone. just like, you're right, I am. And then he just like left. So that was like a bad, like initial start. So anyway, I, that summer would just ended like, ugh, kind of like deflating. Uh, but then I'm like, well, I'm going to give it a good go next year. Next summer, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going into grade 11. Just keep practicing juggling. Thinking of ideas. Next summer. So next summer came and uh, I did this team act with a friend. And we just kept fighting. What was, we, what was the act called? It, uh, what were we called? Byron Birch uh, Juggling Incorporated. No, Byron, Byron and Jesse Juggling Inc. Uh-huh. Because he was from England and I was Canadian. And we had these shirts that he printed in art class, actually. It was a Canadian in a, in a uh, Union Jack. Uh. Flag and Union Jack. That's good. Yeah, so we, we only did really a handful of shows. We did like a two-man high. We were going to do stilts together. We tried to build these stilts, but they didn't like work. And we were just like, ah, fuck it. Um, we tried doing a few shows together, and it was just kind of a disaster. We just kept fighting. Yeah. Because we, we just couldn't really pull it off well. Yeah. Well, neither of you knew what you were doing. Well, neither of us knew what we were doing. We so thought the show sucked. Why? Because, oh, yeah. you, you threw that club you too did short. You did it wrong. No, you were cutting me off. I was going to say this line. You did It's like, what? Well, oh, it was... And that summer was even kind of worse because then this this new guy came on the pitch. He was a few years older. His name was his, his name was Andrew, uh, Andrew Andy Tafts, and he's this Aussie guy. And he was the meanest person I've ever met. He was so mean to me. He was just like, "You shit, mate. You fucking wasting the pitch. You shit. Everybody hates you. You need sock. You know, just just constantly being like, you don't have a show. You crap. Just 
Oh, put you God. down, put you down. I'd, put I'd like down. leave. I'd leave the pitch like crying. Kind of, <clears throat> yeah, almost. I'd be like in tears. I'd be like taking the bus home, trying to lug my gear. Up. Yeah, well, you're 16, right? 16, 17. Yeah, all these guys are in the 20s. Yeah, 20s, probably. 30s, and then he's like, yeah, yeah. he's he's the youngest one. He was four years older. Yeah, but then uh, and he, yeah, he'd look up to all these other guys, and he just I I because he felt like obviously in hindsight he felt he was probably low end of the totem pole when it comes to the status. Yeah, and he's come all the way from forward. Australia, and he yeah, and then kid, who's... and then so I'm I could I'm the person he could shit on. Yeah. So yeah, and I and then I was trying something different. I was trying to do a solo show as well. I was playing saxophone on a unicycle, trying to get somebody to throw a ball, catch it in the the, the bell of the horn. And then what was I doing? Trying to do a bunch of tricks under a minute. And uh, oh, and then it, oh yeah, the, the finale would be uh, if I couldn't do all these tricks in under a minute, I'd have to eat an onion. And I and oh. yeah, and what I would do, I'd just take an onion and I would start chew, and then I just like bit the onion and then I just kind of like drool it out and then it'd be like great. Where did these ideas come from? I don't know, but I was just trying to think you, of some... You were watching these great guys. Yeah. You know, surely they must have some influence on decisions you would make. And no, because the here's show. the thing. Everybody was saying, you know what? You need to be original. 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 And I'm like, yeah, okay. Original. And I was like, yeah, okay, I dare bet. And I was trying to think of ideas. And, you know. So instead you went the opposite direction and your show was a ripoff of everybody else's. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> years later, then it was just like, you know what works? Just uh, just do the same shit. Just do what everybody else is just doing. Just do what everybody else is doing and uh, steal all the lines. I don't want to You know what? Why? Why bother being... Actually, this is good advice. Robert Nelson, Butterfly Man, I met him like twice. And one time was at the Busker Fest in, in 94 in Vancouver and he's bitter and jaded, whatever. And I'm like, how do you, uh, how do you street form? How do you get a show together? What's your, what's your secret? And he said to me, he's like, you know what, kid? You see an act that works? Just rip it off and do it. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, he's like, do you got any, do you got any fuel? I'm like, yeah. I'll get some fuel. He's like, thanks, kid. All right. Just, whatever. <laughs> I was like, awesome. Okay. I'm like, well, Butterfly Man, so just, <laughs> just steal everybody's just shit. Steal everybody's shit. <laughs> yeah. so, is that when you start doing it? No, I didn't steal anybody's shit, really, you know? Uh, so just taking some lines here. And well, there. maybe that here and there, you know. Um, so that summer was anyway summer number two. That was that was just yeah. That's that was a god show as well. Oh, and I brought a ghetto. I, brought, I had this like ghetto blaster because I was try, I saw people were were playing music to try and get a crowd, but I didn't know they had like an amplifier system. So I just had this ghetto blaster, and the sound wouldn't travel. And it was just a tape deck. Yeah. You know, and then I was like playing Steely Dan, trying to get a crowd. It's like, hey, 19, I'm like, come do a show. Babylon sisters, shake it. Because I just like that being my dad would play. I'm like, I like this music. Maybe that'll get a crowd. I'm like, no, Steely Dan didn't get a crowd. Nobody gave a fuck about Steely Dan. I might be the only street performer in the world to use Steely Dan. Yeah. Nobody got it to Steely Dan. Wow. You know, so I don't know. I just tried, kept doing these shows, and I'm going on the bus lugging this big case around. And this really old lady that had this ancient case. And then, I, oh yeah, and then I, so I had all these props, and I had torches, but I didn't even know, like, put them in a bag. So I had these dirty torches everywhere. And then I had, like, that onion I, I, I eat after the show. 
when I got there, but I'd use the same onion like oh. over and over again. So I had this onion, and it'd be like torches, and be like all, all like soaking it up, and I mean, kerosene, <laughs> just beanbags everything. My hands would be. I had no idea about just like cleanliness. And after the show, like wash your hands, change your shirt, and then I'd be like using my t-shirt just to like wipe off the sweat, the kerosene marks. <laughs> and then I had this like oh, and then I had like you know like like white or like beige kind of shorts, and I'd just be like wiping my wipe my dirty like a dirty kerosene. Yeah, just this smelly, gross, lost 17-year-old, you know. Smelling of uh, onion uh, and kerosene. So, uh, I just reeked of kerosene and onions. <laughs> you know? I thought I'd get laid if I learned how to juggle on the street before. I'm like, no, but you reek of kerosene and onions. <laughs> you your clothes uh, look like garbage. <laughs> you know. Wow. And uh, anyway, so then, you know, and then you shit, Mike. You fucking shit. And the other performers were kind of, I felt, you know, didn't really have the time of day for me. Right. So you just, you felt really on your uh, own. Oh, I felt really on my own, and, and most of the performers just kind of really didn't have the time of day for me, and and then I had Andrew just tell me how shit I was. Yeah, and I just, this is your okay, second season. This is my second trying season. to do stuff. So then I was like, "Fuck!" It, and were you okay. working like just weekends or every? Day I was working or? most. I was trying to do go down there a lot of nights, English Bay, and yeah. then I didn't really go to Granville Island that much. I went a few times on the weekend. Um, so I'm like, okay, you know what? Next year. <laughs> Every year is like next year. Next year, next year I'm doing it. We well, setting goals at least. Setting goals next year. So I kept practicing juggling, kept practicing different skills. Learned cigar boxes. I got really into that. Sort of learned some hat stuff. Um, yeah, and then, then so you, it, your focus was still adding skills, not just thinking add, about any skills. And well, and also like, but I had no place to really felt like I could work out. Oh right. no! Then I went to Robson Street and I just did small shows. I just did small little little fire shows. So they'd like ten minute like sort of walk by shows like close up magic shows on, mm-hmm. but with fire and then uh, that really started helping me get the confidence because I wasn't like doing the big pitch trying to do forty five minutes on the street. I'm mm-hmm. just like okay, I just do ten minute shows, walk by shows, and I did that a little bit in the um, in the fall and I did that, uh, and then the next year I just kept doing that constantly. But I went down the big pitch a couple times and I brought a big unicycle. Learned how to basically do a unicycle. And I had a six-foot unicycle, and I learned how to do that. And I tried playing sax on that really badly because you can't get a good tone. I was like, oh, oh, oh. oh I thought you kept the sax in for a while. I kept the sax in for a while, but you it was a annoying prop. So I had the sax. Juggling. I had the sax, you know, in its case, in the case. And then I had, like, torches, clubs, this sort of beat-up hat, a bunch of bean bags, and, like, you know, a half-eaten onion. Yeah. Did you try playing Steely Dan on the sax? No, I did try right? playing Steely Dan that on the sax. That could have been idea. Really cool. <laughs> yeah, Because <laughs> everybody would just be like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> Hey 19. <laughs> <laughs> Clap to the beat of Hey 19. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, that one I was just like, okay, you know, fuck this garbage. Yeah. I think eventually I was like, screw the... The sax one's not working. It's, well, just lugging this prop around. Yeah. So I had like the sacks in this case and like, and then I had a unicycle, I had like a small unicycle I was trying and I was trying to bungee it and then, but I had, it was all falling off the thing and I was like, fuck, fuck, it just kept falling off. Uh, but the next season I got a big unicycle and then I was like, where, and I kept trying to take it on the bus oh, God. and then like this, you'd be like, no cycle, no cycle. Bus drivers would be like, no, I won't take it. It was like, get off the bus. I'm like, but I don't make any money to take a cab. You know, so then I've, I used I used a friend of mine's my dad's place who lived downtown. Can I can I store my unicycle at your place? Then I go there, try to go to the beach, and just still suck. 
And yeah. Andrew was there again, still be like, you shit, mate, you shit. You show shit, wasting the pitch, mate, you shit. And I'll be like, fuck, it was like, I'm never going to get good. Yeah. And this is year number three. I'm like, this sucks. But then I went Did you to- feel in, in any way that you were getting better? Slightly. Outside, outside of doing the shows on Robson Street? Yeah, no, when I Robson Street, I felt like I was getting better. Oh, okay. Because I was like, okay. So that was that same yeah. year? No, because I would do that. I would try to do like <clears throat> a big show, but then I'd be like, let's do small mm-hmm. little shows. But the big show, like, I just couldn't pull it off. Couldn't crack it, yeah. So, yeah, year number three. I, but I go to Robson Street, and my expectations were exponentially lower. So it was just like, okay, you know, 10, 15 minute show. Small and I met like a magician, actually. His name was Donovan. And he was, uh, he was cool. He was really nice to me. He was like one of the guys who's the first nice guy to me. Learned how to do magic and uh, he was doing magic and that. And he was doing walk by stuff. And he took me and he's like, "Hey kid, you know, let me show you around." But uh, he was, yeah. And then he would he would drive me home after the show. But first he would he would stop by Skid Row to buy to buy uh, coke. Uh-huh. He was he's a drug addict. He's not now. He's reformed. But then he was just like, I'll give you a ride home, but we got to stop at Hastings first. I got to score some, some coke. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> That's just how you do it. Dude, I don't, you know, I was like, I'm not judging you. Know, I like getting a lift home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you gave me a ride. <laughs> yeah. But he was super nice to me. Um, so I just kept doing these small shows. And then I kept kind of doing that throughout the season. I'm like, oh, you could actually, you could actually do this. You could actually do this throughout, um, throughout the year on the weekends. On Robson Street, just do small walk by things like English Bay. I thought, well, you can't really do that. That's a seasonal pitch. And Granville Island, I thought, well, I, I was too intimidated by it. Um, even though I went tried to do another show or two there, but I was too intimidated by it because there were so many acts that mm-hmm. hung out there. Yeah, and I felt like I'm just wasting this spot, and everybody's just gonna shit on me. I want to get good. I was like, I'm gonna get good. I'm gonna get good on Robson Street. You don't want the pressure of the other performers sitting around giving yeah. you shit. I was really frightened and intimidated, you know? Yeah. A bunch of performers sitting there looking at you with their arms folded, just shaking their head like, mm-hmm. fucking wasting the pitch. Yeah. You know? Too much pressure. Oh, God. So, oh, but then I graduated high school that year, and I said, the year before, I met these guys, Fred Anderson and Paul Nathan, and they were up for the Vancouver Busker Fest. And they said, oh, when you graduate high school, yeah, if you want to come down to San Fran, I was like, yeah. And they were really nice to me. Like, how come you guys are nice to me, but everybody else here is an asshole? They're just like, yeah, yeah, Canadians. What do you expect? <laughs> I don't know. They were just they were. Paul Nathan was really funny. Fred was a super nice guy. He's like, you stay with me. So me and my friend Jesse was doing the team act. With, we went down to San Francisco. Uh, were you still working on the team act with Jesse? Yeah, we were trying to, but that fell apart. We were going to do a show together in San Francisco, but he he was like he got sick, and then he was like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just do my solo thing. And I made like 30 bucks or something. I was like, all right. There you okay, go. Not bad. $10 more than what I was told I could make. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I met, then I saw this guy, Gabriel, and he did straight jacket chains. And I was like, man, this guy's awesome. I'm like, I want to do straight jacket. And then uh, that's kind of where I got the idea of the straight jacket. And, and uh, what's his name? Fred Anderson showed me how to do it. He's like, hey, just do it like this. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, that's easy. Yeah. And I was like, man, I got to get one of those. And then I ordered one of those and I started doing straight jacket. So you, you ordered a real straight jacket. Yeah. Yeah. On Robson Street. Oh, no, well, I ordered this one from, that was kind of a gaff one, from Wheeler Tanner Escapes or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that one, uh, and I did straight check, and I remember doing it for the, one of the first times. I did it, <laughs> I did it in some bar. So a friend of my dad's who's a musician said, hey, if you want to, you know, do your straight check, some open mic jam thing. I was like, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. But I got these, I got these two volunteers, I didn't tell them what to do, so they like <laughs> laced up the buckles in the back. 
and I just was like screwed and everybody was like and the band was waiting to go on and I'm just like so then the band just started playing when I'm stuck up there <laughs> and then the singer's making fun of me he's like hey everybody let's do the straight jacket and he's like putting his crest in his arms like this and and everybody on the dance floor started like dancing with their arms around, and uh-huh. I'm just like in this for like half an hour, forty minutes. I'm about to throw up, and I had to, and I finally got the bartender like <laughs> to untie me. me. Yeah, and uh, and then I left with my tail between me. And legs. that was your first experience with the straight jacket. That was one of my first experiences. Yeah, see, it's not that easy to get out of the yeah, straitjacket. jacket. Exactly. So that was ridiculous. So I started like screw the unicycle, going to do straight jacket, uh, and then so I. I uh, kept doing that, doing shows on Robson Street, because I was also also at that point I was getting in trouble juggling fire. Cops were like, "You can't juggle fire here. You mm-hmm. can't juggle fire." I'm like, "I do something else." So I did the straight jacket. So you're just doing short shows with the straight jacket. Just doing short shows with the straight jacket, and just pumping out these short little shows yeah. with the straight jacket. So, um, and then yeah, graduate high school went there, and then I'm like, okay. So in the fall, I kept doing that, and then I don't even really remember what I did in the winter. I think just I went out every weekend. If it wasn't raining, I went out there and just tried to do. Pump Something. Out, pump out shows. Yeah. Pump out small shows. Even in the winter. Even in the winter, yeah. Hmm. Oh, before that, I forgot to mention, I went to Edmonton Fringe. And that, that changed. That was a game changer. This is in the summer of 96, third season. That mm-hmm. was a game changer. Because that gave me confidence. I was like, man, it's easier to get crowds here. Oh, my God. Cool. Right, right. So I took a bus. Was, yeah. With my friend Jesse, we were going to do our team act. And again, he got sick. He just he didn't really want to do it, I guess. Yeah. So, so you were out there on your own with your straight jacket. Doing, I yeah, was just trying to. Yeah, but I, uh, yeah, I was just doing, pretty much just doing straight jacket, or I might have juggled beforehand. Yeah, I think I juggled fire and then got did the straight jacket rope, and uh, and I was like, man, all right, I made like sixty bucks. Wow, I made seventy bucks, I made eighty bucks. I'm like, man, if I break a hundred in a show, I'm gonna be so excited. I'm gonna be like, oh mm-hmm. my god, oh my I god. broke a hundred dollars. Yeah. Then I know I made it. Then I know I made it. And were there a lot of performers around? There lots of performers too. And a lot of them were pretty nice. Yeah. And I was like, um, you know, because there's performers of all walks, you know, all levels. Yeah. So I felt like this is awesome. How this long is was the show at this point when you're doing the fringe? Because if you're doing the short shows on Robson Street, you bring it up there. 10, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, maybe half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour. Yeah. Possibly. Starting to build it out. Starting to build more. it out a bit. And then I was like, man, if I break under, but I didn't. I came close and I was like, ah. But I just kept pumping out these small shows, small shows on Robson Street. Just pumping them out. And then finally the next year came and I uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to English Bay. I think I'm ready. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to do I'm gonna do cigar boxes, juggle fire, straight jacket rope. And I went out there at Sunset and I did $201. Ah. Bigger side, more than doubled it. And I was just elated. I was like, yeah. I did it. It took me to like my fourth season before I realized, okay, you know what? I'm not a waste of time. I'm not a piece of shit. Yeah. I can do this. Yeah. And then well, what do you think clicked? What made the difference? I think just out? going out, doing all those hardcore shows on Robson Street gave right. me the chops, but it was a smaller walk by spot. Yeah. And then I just went through on in the other stuff before it, and then that. So it was David's advice from the beginning. You just got to do it. Well, yeah, you just got to keep doing <laughs> yeah, it. No. You just got to keep doing it, but you just got to, you know, trial and error, trial and error, yeah, trial and error. You need stage time. Yeah, it's coming. You need stage time. You need street time. You need, but you know, go well. Just pump out small shows, like in front of a closed storefront. Just keep pumping them out. And then I was getting to the point where my crowd was getting so big because my show kept getting better. That was too small of a pitch. That was too small of a pitch. And then I was getting in trouble for the cops because people walking on the street, and it was you know, you're blocking off traffic. Yep. So then I'm like, well, I got to go down to 
big pitch, you know. And then it was kind of like, so then I did that show, and then I was like, hey, I, I made it. I'm like drawing at Granville Island. I made it, guys. I made it. Made it. I got a good show now. Got a good show, guys. Look what I can do. And then you're like, yeah, right. My shirt's clean. Yeah. It's like, all right, fine. Oh, at that point, I still had no idea about I still, like, wiping my face off of my shirt and stuff. <laughs> okay. I'm like, what am I well, doing? Well, you, you at least eliminated the onion, right? Oh, I got rid of the onion yeah, pretty okay. quick. So you only smell like kerosene and... Yeah. Look kerosene like and a... sweat. No onion as yeah. well added to it. Right. Yeah. So I... Uh, <laughs> then I learned how to... Yeah, so then I went down... I remember I did that that, that big show at English Bay. I was so excited. Then I went down and tried to do another one in English Bay, and I made like 30 bucks, and I was like, okay, it was just a fluke. I hate myself. This is terrible. And then I made, came back, and I did another one, made like 100. I was like, okay, okay. Yeah. And then I went to Granville Island, and I drew a good number, and there was a lot of performers. And then I was, I remember I was so scared. Bill Ferguson, I got 3 o'clock, and Bill Ferguson got 4. And Bill was just, I'm like, hey, I got a good show now. I'm, I'm worthy of doing the triangle. I'm worried that, I'm worthy of doing the spot now. I'm not wasting the pitch. Uh-huh. It was like, I did a good one. And then, and then he said, he just... Looked at me and he's just like, "Okay, I'll watch you." And I was just so scared. Oh no! I know, yeah. and I'm like, oh, God, "Please, please don't let me do a shit show. Please don't let me do a shit show. Please don't let me do a shit show. Please don't." A lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. But it was great. I made like 190 bucks. I'm like, "Yes!" And Bill was like, "That was very good." I'm like, "Nice, yes." Yeah. Validation. <gasps> finally. Finally, validation. Yeah. And at that point, Andrew wasn't around as much, and when he saw me, he just like kind of shut his mouth. I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, yeah, I guess I can't fucking pick on him as much." Yeah. Whatever. I was like, all right, you know what? So I just kept doing that, went to Edmonton Fringe next year, and it just kept exponentially growing from there. The next year, basically, oh, I went to Europe as well. What year did you first go to Europe? I went, to, I went there in 97 with my, with my parents. Brought your shit with you? I brought my shit with me. And uh, Where'd you go to do shows? I, I did one at Covent Garden, and I did uh, Leicester Square a bunch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, man, the, the eccentric crazies in, in England. Yeah. Just, you know. Oh, I did one in Amsterdam. I forgot about that. And that was. Uh, did you? How did you know about these the pitches? Did someone tell you? People telling me, yeah. Um, I think there was there was a thing on the internet. It was it was called it was perform like performers dot net. Yeah. But before that, it's I think still it was there. Called, it's yeah, on still the there. Yeah, nobody probably goes on there. Right? <laughs> it's called, it was called like Smirk or something like that first. Uh-huh. And people were just writing about pitches and spots around the world. Right. And all that. So I was like, oh yeah, right. These places cool. Yeah, wow. like, I gotta go. I wanna go to Lysa Plain Square. I wanna go check out. Yeah. Leicester Square Covent Garden. I remember Andrew telling me about Covent Garden, and he was telling me about just how I get beat up at all these pitches. He like, you get this pitch, you do a show, mate. If you don't get a good show, they beat the shit out of you, mate. <laughs> yeah, he just try to like scare me. Yeah, you know, I'm like, what the hell is that? Covent Garden's the best head. pitch in the world. It's the biggest pitch in the world, mate. People sleep overnight to do a show there. You waste the pitch. They used You're to. Dead, they used to sleep to. Yeah, it's for the draw. Yeah. So what? Where was your first show in Europe then? It was at Lights Plain Square. It was at Lights Plain. Yeah, I was really nervous. And who else was there? There was actually who was there? These there was four guys. They called themselves the Spice Boys, and they did a two-hour fucking show. Jesus, it's ridiculous! I was like, oh my god, I'm never gonna get on. And there was Damien from Australia. He was there. Uh-huh. Those guys, and this guy Marty. He was this crusty American. Yeah, I know Marty. Yeah, chuckle chainsaws. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. And I remember he stank. It <laughs> smelled good. I think. Anyway, <laughs> this is coming from someone who smelled like yeah, kerosene and onions. Totally, I'm like, hmm, this guy doesn't smell good. Oh yeah, so then I also had a Canadian shirt and I put a Canadian sticker on my case because I remember telling me it's just like, dude, you want to get laid? Just say you're Canadian over there. Uh-huh. Say you're Canadian, man. You girls will just come up and fucking blow you. I'm like, what? Wow. I was like a virgin at this time. 
And I was like, oh my god, that'd be great. But yeah, nobody gave a shit. Right. Nobody gives a fuck where you're from. Yeah. So I did a show there, and I think it went okay. How so, much time did you spend in Europe trying to do shows out there? Uh, well, like about a month. Oh, but okay. I was with my mom and my dad, and my mom was manic at the time. She's manic depressive, and she should have actually been in the in the psych ward. She was all over the place. Uh-huh. It was, so you had to deal it, with it was that. really stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we go to Paris. Oh, I tried busking in Paris. I couldn't, you know, I didn't speak French. That didn't work. I went to Spain, tried to do a show there, but I didn't speak Spanish. Some right. of the Ramblas in Barcelona, that, that was stupid. Yeah, yeah. But I went to, then I went to, yeah, I went to London. London. And, and how'd you get into Covent Garden? How'd you get into the draw? Uh, oh, this is the craziest thing. So my parents, I met them. I just was like, okay, I got, I'm leaving you guys. I'm going to go figure it out myself. Yeah. I, I can't travel take, on your I can't, own. Yeah, I can't take being with you guys. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, what do they do? They uh, they met up with me in London later. Oh, my mom was like, she went to the draw for me. Your mom went to the draw for you in London? And she was all manic. And this guy Pepe, like, made her audition for me. She started, like, singing or something like that. She was just, he was just fucking with her. Wow. But she was manic. She Wait, Pepe been... was fucking with someone? Pepe, yeah. I don't believe Anyway, that. I know, exactly. Mm-hmm. So my mom, my mom should have been really in the hospital. Yeah. At this point. But she went to the, so you hadn't left your parents and they were still with you. I love my parents, but they met up with me later. I was doing Leicester Square, some shows at Leicester Square, trying to do shows there. And then they met up you in London. And they met up with me in London, yeah. And then your mom went to the draw for you. My mom went to Why the draw. Why didn't you go to the draw? I, I didn't even know she went. She was out all night, me and my dad were worried about her, and then she finally phoned us. She's like, I got her in a spot. <laughs> I'm like, what? They made me out. Yeah, she and I went down there and then see some performers, and they're like, oh, yes, we met your mother. Hmm. That was interesting. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? Uh. But I remember doing an okay show, actually. And people were like, oh, not bad, actually. Uh, so I had a decent time there. But it was, you know, lugging just my gear around all over, dragging around cobblestones. And actually, there was this other performer who was a total bully to me. He was nice at first, and then he was a dick. And then he, uh, oh, this guy, Melvin, he, oh, he was telling me before, when he was being nice to me, before he just changed, like, go to Australia, yeah? Go to Australia, that's where you can really clean up, yeah? And I was like, really, eh? Oh, oh Wow. And so I decided to go to Australia in the the winter. What year is that? It was 98, winter 98. Wow. January. So that was the year you just travel a lot. Yeah. Right after high school. Yeah. And then so I went there, but I didn't know anybody. I was like, shit. And I didn't know where I was going to stay. Just show there my case. Where did you fly into? Sydney? Oh, it was a terrible flight. I flew into (laughs) Vancouver, LA, and then LA to fucking Japan, and then Japan to fucking Malaysia, and then it had to stop for the night. But they put you up at a hotel. Uh-huh. But I was just like so delusional. I was so scared to cross Malaysian customs because some people said, you know, if you have medication, oh no, if you if you have drugs, you, death penalty. And I had Prozac. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh my God, they're going to kill me. Yeah. Uh, so how much did that flight cost? $7? No, it was like yeah. 1800 bucks. <laughs> like 12 connections? Yeah, it was still, An yeah. overnight stay in a hotel? It was terrible. My travel agent was like, oh, here's one for you. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Anyway, That's how you go. Didn't even think about it. Yeah. So I finally get to Sydney. I'm just jet-lagged. I don't even know where I'm going to stay. Just lugging my gear around. I, I heard circular key is the spot. Yeah. When you went into Sydney, were you worried about getting through customs in Sydney at the time? Uh, a little bit, actually. Yeah. What did you say? You said you are a tourist. I just said I'm a tourist. So I'm just like, oh, I'm here for some... I might have said I'm, I'm doing a juggling convention. Yeah. But I go there the first time I go there... Uh, I, get, I remember getting this cab, and I'm just like, it's super hot. I'm like, oh, my God. What's going on? Scorching hot. And I go to get into a cab, and this, this cab driver, he uh, <laughs> he 
He's like, hey, mate, it's going. And I'm like, wow, Jesus Christ. And he's like, yeah, well, fucking I And then he was like talking about shagging some 15-year-old girl to me. And I was like, what? Oh. Well, oh Australia, Australia, right? Australia, wow, this is interesting. Good yeah, thing I brought my Canada He ran away to He might. And then there's the biggest bug in the world just landed on the windshield. It was massive. And then he's like, kick the fuck over the windshield, you fucking cunt. And then it was just like, Jesus Christ, takes me to circular key. Get out there. And I'm like, please don't let me see Melvin. He told me about Australia. And the first person I see was Melvin. Oh, shit. And he just looked at me. He's like, you travel all around the world. Follow me. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, man. And then I was like, where do I perform? What do I do? I need a place to stay. Can I stay anywhere? The guy that was an asshole to you, you, need, you, you he's the, only, the last person you want to see, but he's yeah. the only one you can get And I remember just phoning home. I'm like, I don't know why I'm here. I was like almost just in tears. Yeah. Did he help sort you out at No, least? nobody sorted me out at all. They are like, go to, go to King's Cross. You can find oh, a place Jesus. there. So I went to King's Cross. And this is just like a tourist Mugged. junkie haven. Yeah. And I was like looking around. I finally found some, some shithole. Yeah. And I crashed there. This is your first day in Sydney. This is my first day in Sydney. Then I met another guy, this straight drag guy. His name was Chance. And he was a dickhead to me. Uh-huh. And then it was just... And, but and then I finally met the notorious Lucky Rich. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he was... I was frightened with him. I was frightened of him. But was he nice to you, at least? He was... Yeah, no. I, I didn't really talk to him that much. He wasn't really... I was just a plural. But I met guys like Tim Motley. I met I met a few other people. JP, you must have met. I met JP finally that, that trip. I remember going... I uh, did a few shows there. And uh, most of them weren't very good. And I was getting, like, heat stroke. Oh, yeah, and I was just an idiot. Didn't have a mic. Wasn't wearing sunscreen, really. It's mm-hmm. just, you know. So you had no amp, no mic. No mic. Fucking you didn't have the Steely Dan anymore. 35 degree heat, you know. No saxophone. Yeah. No sunscreen. Yeah. Pale skin. Just getting sunburnt and being 19. This is 98, you said. Yeah, this is 98. Jesus. And then, so I went to, and then I met Bike Boy, and then I think, he's like, oh yeah, go down, you should check out Melbourne. And I was like, oh, I'll go to Melbourne. I, went, I took a train down to Melbourne. And again, just, just show up at, uh, Burke Street Mall. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, I heard you street perform here. Who do you run to there? Did some shows there. I ran to this guy, Dave Pickens. Yeah. Doug and Dave, he was at T-Max. Oh, yeah, Bike Boy was there. Met Shane. That's where I met Al for the first time. Uh-huh. Uh, met Anthony Living Space there. Uh-huh. I did some shows there. Some of them were... Actually, some of them... A couple of them went okay. But it was a tough pitch. It was real hardcore. Um, but I remember that whole thing. I, I met... Oh, David Castle, Hodge. I met him. And how did you feel the show was going? It was really The show rough. was getting a bit better. You have chains at this point? Or still no, still rope. rope. And I was, uh, you know, but it was getting better. But I was doing Melbourne. I remember doing some, some pretty decent ones, actually, in hindsight. So I went to the Adelaide Fringe after. And that's um, where I ran into, uh, ran into Eric. Mm-hmm. Eric Amber, three Canadians were there. Yeah. And a bunch of other performers and did you, did you know who there. those guys were before you got there? Yeah, I met them actually in Vancouver in 94. They were at the Busker Fest, and I met them the year after uh, around at the Busker Fest or something like that. So I knew them a bit, but they, I mean, everybody just thought I was kind of annoying, I felt. I wasn't, didn't really have anybody's respect. can't see why they respect. would think you were kind of annoying. But yeah, then. exactly. Then, uh, yeah, so Adelaide, but Adelaide, I managed to uh, do some really good shows and actually lose my virginity. This, wow, there you uh, go, Adelaide. Yeah, Adelaide, Adelaide was a game changer. Yeah, um, it all came together in Adelaide. Yeah, I was staying at the Royal Adelaide Hospital in Nurses' Quarters, and yep. I, and I uh, stayed there. Yeah. And, Lovely accommodations. Yeah. yeah. I remember having awkward sex with this girl, and then I bought her a pop. 
Because <laughs> she was she, 12. Because she was 12. No, mm-hmm. she was 17. I was 19. She was an awkward redhead. She was a groupie, a bike boy. Oh. Well, and then so, yeah, bike boy was like... Uh, you can have this one. <laughs> yeah, but, but I don't know. Bike boy was like, shit. I remember having my gear on the pitch. I go, I go to lose my virginity, and then I come back to do my show. And I was all neurotic about it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't even know how to have sex with I didn't know that you had to, like, go in and out. I just thought you just stuck it in, and it, the rest would take care of itself. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. But I was wearing this, like, crap condom, too, and and it was, like, sounded like sneakers on a gym floor. <laughs> and then after about an hour, you know, uh, you know, but then I was like, I didn't feel like anything. Shit, maybe I got AIDS. Oh, I got AIDS. And then, and then, I had, and then a few days later, I met this, this, uh, this chubby girl who, who picked me up, and I got laid again. And this time, did you try to move in and out? I did, and it was much better. So uh, it was two girls at, in uh, Adelaide. and uh, I'm sure show. neither of them will ever forget their experience with you. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, yeah, and then the next summer, I just kept, just kept busking. And next summer, I, um, I, did the, I, uh, I switched to chains. Yeah. And Where did that idea come from? I don't know. I think I just kind of tried. I'm like, you know, I'm going to give a chain. Ch- oh, you know what? I got, I got trapped in rope again on the street. And I think I was just like, I think I just was chains. Because they're heavier and they'll fall off. There was basically, and my mom had to untie me. I had the biggest show in my life at that point at English Bay. Oh, gosh. My mom was there. And uh, this cop walked by and, and asked, could I talk to your crowd? I'm like, yeah, sure. And while he was talking to the crowd, he's like, have you seen this kid who got lost? And then, <laughs> Can I interrupt your show and talk to your crowd? Yeah, and while he was lost? doing that, I was getting tied up. And I didn't tell the guys to stop tying me up. Ah. And they just started lacing up the buckles and all that. And the oh, show tying was, the buckles through the rope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And everything was going great, <clears throat> and I couldn't get out. And then I finally, you know, I had to get my mom no time. And I, I did this mom, I said, this mommy. Heart, yeah, I did this heartfelt apology. I was like, sometimes you just screw up in life, and, you know, it's one of those times. And I'm really sorry. If you want to pay me, you can. You don't have to. But I made a really good ad, actually, anyway. People were like, it's all right, man. You tried did your mom also do a dance for them? Yeah, and then she danced for them. Then she danced. Yeah. Pole yeah. danced. Whoa. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so yeah, I did the change the next year. And then uh, Al came, who I met in, in Australia, and he, uh, maybe he was just doing so great. You know, he always does great. Even when he was like 20, he was kicking ass. Yeah. And I'm, man, how do you do so well? You know, like you go to How do you do it? Some, Tell me how you do it. You know, but, but you got, must have something else. And he's like, yeah, mate, you know, the accent, you love it. And then uh, I was like, man. He's like, you should do an accent. You're good voices. Do an accent. Yeah, maybe we'll turn British. And then I did. And I was like, bam. I'm like, wow, that worked. Really? Yeah. Much of a difference. People, people just like, I sounded different. I sounded more confident. I was funnier. Just, you know, you had to something. You just, find something, you different, inside you something different inside of yourself. Bring it out. And then I just kept sticking with that. Yeah. And uh, then my show just kept kind of growing exponentially. Yeah, because now you have a character. Now it's I got a character. You. It's not me, and I could hide behind that and feel like, oh my god, this is cool. It's like, oh, I'm living vicariously through some other, you know, yeah. made up entity. Yeah, you can get away with something because you don't have to be honest yeah. with what you would how you would react to it. I mean, in, in a way, you're still totally honest about it, but still, you can play. There's a gray area when you're yeah. doing a voice or something. You can go, oh, I could go over here where I wouldn't wouldn't work for. Byron as Canadian Byron. Yeah, yeah. At least at that time, because now I'm sure as you develop the shows and you do Byron from Canada when I'm when you're not uh, in Canada. Yeah, but you probably can get away with loads of stuff because you've developed as a performer. Well, exactly. Yeah. 
So then basically all my street shows started getting better and better and better. I had like so many tricks at that point. I was balancing my case in my face. I was, do- I was doing hat tricks, balancing a case, balancing a bike, doing cigar boxes, juggling fire, then getting in a straight jacket. And then I just kept paring it down and paring it down and paring it down. Yeah. Because I was like, I don't need to do as much of this. And, and I'd get funnier. I was getting more lines. I was getting more, you know, content with the crowd, getting more crowd interaction bits, yeah. more stuff with the volunteers. That uh, the show kept getting longer the less I did. Yep. So I just kept cutting shit out. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing from there. And uh, But that's kind of how I got my start. And then I started doing stand-up and got an acting agent and started taking courses, doing acting as well and other things. But, yeah, street performing's giving me a great life. and uh, You got around the world. Got all around the world. and you know, so Who, who do you think had the biggest... I mean, you mentioned a few people um, along your journey. Who do you think had the biggest influence on um, how your show developed? I think, um, well, there's a bunch of characters, obviously, I didn't mention, too, but uh, I think Gazzo had a big influence. That was my, my fourth year when I was finally getting it going. Just when, when it came to the comedy content, I was like, man, this guy's so funny. Uh, this guy, Dave McSavage, in yeah. Australia, so funny. Comedy so content. just by watching them. Yeah. I'd say Bill Ferguson, uh, just, you know, there's confidence, command. The stage first layer. I don't like his show. He doesn't really do any tricks. He doesn't do any tricks. Right. But then I was like, you know, after a while, I was like, well, yeah, that's better. Whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not what you do, it's how you do it. It's about the yeah. show. It's not about the tricks. Yeah. I was sure. kind of a juggling snob where it's just like, he doesn't even do behind the back. Yeah. doesn't even do double spins. Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> it's funny, though, because now, just the other day, we're talking about how a lot of content and shows now is about the trick happening and, and not being as... Like, when as soon as you start trying to be too creative... Because people's uh, attention spans are so short. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. So you had that mindset back when you could do a show. Yeah. Easier where it wasn't about the trick and the stunt and the prop. But now I was like, just Whereas do now it. Now it's, yeah. Because everybody's watching a Vine video for six seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. So like, do it now. Uh. Yeah. But, but you can't blow your load too quick. So no. you got to get a crowd. You got to get a crowd. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you just do it. I remember, yeah, at that point, you know. A lot of times you're trying to get the crowd. you got to make it all seem like it's part of the show, getting the crowd and everything. Yeah. So that's why comedy banter and getting billing people, getting them a clap and cheer for no reason, all that stuff is important. Well, because you're because giving them something. You're giving them something, but you're not, giving them, you're not giving them too much where they're going to leave. Right. That's the thing. Nobody plan- if you said to anybody, hey, can I spare 45 minutes of your time? They'd be like, no. Go yeah. fuck yourself. Yeah. But if you go, uh, hey, I'm doing this show, and you just keep you know, seducing them with mm-hmm. uh, this, you know, veiled threat of I'm going to do this thing that you can't feel satisfied unless you see it. Yeah. And then when you do, I finally, you know, successfully tell you that what I did was, was awesome and you, you should give me some sort of monetary value for it. Hypnotize them. Yeah. Into- and then they go like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. He's absolutely. Wow. So glad he did that way. Yeah. And then they give you money and they leave happy. Months. Yeah. And they miss their train and they're late for work. Right. Uh, but I'd say, sorry, the biggest influence I'd say, Bill Ferguson, Oh, yeah. Uh, bike Boy, just his work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you get from Bill? Just seeing how, you know, you don't have to just It's not do what you it. do, it's how you do it. Yeah. And just, just the pure command of the crowd, yeah. command of the audience, confidence. Yeah. Bill, uh, Bike Boy, just his sheer tenacity and work ethic. Mm-hmm. And just, um, I'd say... Uh, Gazzo. Gazzo. Just, just walk by lines, comedy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd say... Um, uh, Dave McSavage. Yeah. Just for being insane and over the top. Yeah. And just pushing the envelope. Yeah. And hit, yeah, hit, hit him, same thing with talking to people. Yeah. Creating the lines. 
creating songs based exactly. on what's happening. Walk my lines, going, yeah, yeah, and uh, making me, me feel like I should push the envelope a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, but then you know, in years, you know, the years that follow, it's like I, try, I put more originality into it, but obviously the tricks are kind of stock and standard. But I feel like I got this this balance of it's 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 a good street show. It's effective, you yeah. know, in tough conditions. <clears throat> but then, it, unfortunately, a lot of festivals won't book me because they'll be like, "I ah, just doing a standard kind of bullshit." Yeah, because so it's, it's hard. a double-edged sword, you know. Because you're like, well, <clears throat> if you try to be too creative on the street, I feel like you can't. You know, you're not going to be accessible to everybody. So then you see people just doing like stock generic shit, and you go to Covent Garden, everybody's just got like a franchise. I'm doing a unicycle, doing a slack rope, you know, cut and paste shows, mm-hmm. and they do okay. Yeah. But if you did something completely different and unique and you're original and creative, a lot of times, nine times out of ten, it fails on the street. Well, yeah, depending on where you do it on the street. If you're just doing pure street, it is more difficult that's what to I mean. do something. Yeah, yeah, if you're just doing pure street. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's going back to what when you know I was saying when you saw Bill at first, you said, just do it, just do it. Yeah. Uh, whereas now you realize the difference between those things. Oh, totally. And saying like, oh, if you do create theater, it can be really compelling and really interesting on the street. Yeah. But it's difficult to do it in uh, like a busking kind of situation. In a busking kind of just pure street yeah, setting. Yeah, pure street setting. Um, it's more challenging. It's not impossible, but it's more challenging. It's much more challenging. Especially yeah. now as opposed to back in the I think busking 90s. is harder now. Yeah. Because everybody's attention span. Everybody's well, everyone's phone. seen everything. You everybody's got seen talent everything. shows where the people do 90 seconds and they expect you to do the most amazing thing in 90 seconds. Yeah. So it's a harder game now. It is. Um, to try to be creative. But if you have a show, your show works, you know it works. Have you seen a difference in how your show works now as opposed to years ago? I'd say, you know, I I think my 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 show isn't, honestly, I don't think it works quite as well as it did. I mean, not to say that that's necessarily true, but I think, like, I was most successful in the mid-late 2000s. Mm-hmm. Do you think that might be because you're focusing more on the stand-up? Well, I think it's funny because now I'm, you know, predominantly trying to focus on stand-up, but I, I don't make as much money doing stand-up as I do street. But stand-up, sure. I feel like the ceiling is much higher. I could be more creative. I could be more, you know, talk about unique situations. Where it is me. It's 100% me. I don't have to rely on any of these sort of stock... Uh, variables like lines or just structure kind of systems in place that you know get everybody to clap and cheer and count to three and all that kind of stuff to well how, how different do you think your show is then between how you're doing it now and how you did it now i throw a lot more the structure seems to be the same but i try to like doing a different voice because occasionally you know being these kind you're of being more, playful right and being more playful trying to throw in different voices different uh make it interesting <clears> for yourself make it interesting for myself or other performers watching me that'll kind of like goat me into trying something new yeah but yeah, just pushing the envelope a little bit more, trying to do new lines, unique lines, funny lines. But honestly, financially, it certainly doesn't uh, show. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't show that. Oh my God! Hey, you, you tried something new. We're going to pay you for it. No, it doesn't. And that's that's the, that's, the, that's the really frustrating thing. Then you see somebody just completely stock, completely standard, and all of a sudden, and not even really just just kind of boring. And they'd be like, "Wow!" And they got paid just as much or not more than me. And then you're like, "God damn it!" Yeah, but then then it goes down to how you feel about your performance for yourself. Because well, that's, that's true. Because you know, you know what you can do. You know what you've done. You know what you're capable of. So you've got to do a show where at the end of the show, you're like, all right, well, I made this. I didn't make more than I could have, but I feel good about what I did. Right. Because you know there's some people in that audience that are pissing themselves. Oh, of course. And they get it. And yeah. you're, you know, I mean, there's some value in that, but I get what you're saying. It's like frustrating when you go out and you... 
you do, you know, something that is somewhat a little bit more original than what. And you're not getting rewarded for it at all, right? Yeah, it's it's frustrating. I mean, you will get rewarded for it in the fact that you know you'll get booked in more festivals, potentially. Potentially, yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like okay, being original and unique on the street. I don't want to sound jaded in that, but I'm like, well, if I'm going to be original and unique, what? You know, uh, where's this going to eventually lead to? Yeah, well, there's about. I mean, like I experienced it with the Nigel Blackstorm show, seeing the difference in that when we did Victoria together. Yeah. And so when you came to do Victoria, I was, I switched from my straitjacket show to the Nigel Blackstorm. So there wasn't two guys escaping from a straitjacket and chains. Yeah. That makes no sense. Yeah. And I could see the difference on the pitch in like my size of my crowd. Yeah. I was like, oh, look, it's not as big. Yeah. Um, but I was doing a show that I was really enjoying doing. Totally, yeah, yeah. And then it wasn't until I did the festival in Ottawa last summer when it was the first time, and I've done that show now a bunch of different countries, the, the Nigel show. Like, I did it in Ottawa. It was the first time when it was that thing where they didn't get it or appreciate it, and it was not working. Like, I know there's a difference between my straight jacket show and the Nigel Blackstorm show, right? But this was, like, huge difference. It's like as if I just made up that show. right. And, like, I'm building the crowd, building a crowd, and then by the time the show's over, I'm pulling everyone in. I was telling you this the other day. Like, I yeah. Had pull, and there's only two shows that I did during that festival where I felt like, okay, this is a normal show for my Nigel Blackstorm show. I don't expect it to be huge and massive as, like, the Straight Jacket show, but it's, a, it's always a good show, a quality show I feel good about and I get paid properly for. But that festival made me think, well, what the fuck? But, you know, it's like if I've done it in enough places... In my head, I go, "All right, it's not, it's not me or the show. It's got to be them. It's got to be this place I'm at." Yeah, that you know, that's the problem with the the ego, too. Is like <clears throat> sometimes you have short memory. It's just like you're only as good as your next show. Oh yeah, that's yeah, always, it's horrible. Yeah, you know, be like I'm just even doing stand up. I'm doing these jokes, or I did this show, or I did this here, and I did great. And then you know, like I got the internal monologue in my head, just being like, "Yeah, but you know what? No, those people didn't know anything. These people know the truth, mm-hmm. and the truth is that you suck right now. Yeah, I know. It's always it's that's always all that, that matters. Okay. Yeah, all these people are laughing, but what about that guy? That's uh-huh. the only one that matters. For every layer of gold, there's a piece of shit under it. Focus on that shit. Yeah, yeah. Like if I do a show and no one says good job, I'm like, what the fuck? I must have sucked. Yeah, they didn't like me. Yeah. To see one, Great. like even if you know, I'm a variety show and yeah. I come off stage and a performer goes, "Hey, nice work." I'm like, "Good." I know. Good. It's like you need that security. I need, fix. I need everybody to tell me. Yeah, you need not that. Just va- the it's like yeah, you're just this junkie that needs a validation yeah. from Stranger Fix constantly. <laughs> I know it's again so and again and again. You're like, I haven't. Nobody told me how great it was for two days. This sucks. <laughs> well, my life means nothing. Yeah. Oh shit! It's raining now. I can't get any validation. I got enough money in the bank, but you know what? I need people to love me now. Now, love me now. Tell me I'm good now. Like now, like, now, good, now. Good. Yeah, I think you're an extreme version of that, but it's true. Yeah, I feel that way a lot. I think we all do to a degree. Yeah, I think... Maybe I'm well, just I, open I, enough and, uh, to admit it. <laughs> yeah, could other be. people are like, I don't care what other people think. Well, like, no, fuck I, off. I admit, I care what people think. You do, but I'm mean, like, a lot of performers are like, I, don't know, I honestly don't give a shit what people think. I'm like, that's that's a lie. Well, I always wondered, like... That's you know, like, you know what? I don't eat because I'm hungry. I just eat for me. I'm like, okay. What do you see the difference from being in a, the street performing community and the stand-up comedy community? I feel the street performing community, I have way more friends proportionally. I feel, you know, there's not maybe this illusion of like, hey, I want to be a star. Your success is my failure. It's like we're all kind of in this together and we could all sort of make a decent middle class living and travel around the world and exchange really cool stories and, and stuff like that. Stand-up, mm-hmm. it seems to be like I, I got a shitty job and I want to be a 
a star. And anybody who's doing slightly better than me, I resent. I feel bitter towards. Yeah. And it also seems to attract a lot more kind of mentally ill people <laughs> that I find. <laughs> Is that, that how you that, got that into it? Just need to. Well, no, I got into stand up because I wanted to do stand up. And yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 you know, I'm out there. Yeah, of course. We're all out there. We're all out there. You gotta be. But you know, I think uh, you, there's a lot of less money involved. You know, on the the lower end. Mm-hmm. You know, you you do a good street show, you make hundreds of dollars. You do a good stand up set. It's just like, hey, thanks for the five minutes. I might get a free drink. Yeah, but thanks for only charging me five dollars. Yeah, thanks for charging me five dollars for me the the opportunity. Yeah, because this place charged me ten. Yeah, it's like street. You get that immediate monetary and emotional fix, but you have to stick within these parameters for it to be successful. You know, if you want to have a billionaire and a homeless guy and a gay guy and a straight guy and, a, and an old guy and a young guy and a black guy and a white guy and everything in between. Women. And, and, and even and even women. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you want them all together and they all, you want them to clap, cheer, laugh and all pay you. You have uh, to find that you balance. You have to find that balance where you can't be too edgy. You can't be too... Uh, you can't be too clever, mm-hmm. you, but you got to be engaging. You got to be captivating, but it limits you, what you can do. It's a beautiful thing in that it brings everybody together, but it does kind of limit what you can do. Yeah, and it, and it also means everybody's on their way to something, so you you can't really have transitions. You need to make it all just. Especially now, I especially think back in the now. day, back in the '80s, you hear about these guys that did shows. Well, like you the see them, and, and they're archaic. Where they're just like, and now the Diablo, and they go into their suitcase, and they're just being like, and they'll take a while to like look for their prop. And like back then, people would be like, okay, let's wait for him to pull out the Diablo. Yeah, and, they, and I think after they, he finished his trick, and he put his props away. Yeah, and I then think, he's like, I'll take out the next prop. Yeah, and now that'd be death. I know, but I think in beyond that, beyond that relaxed nature of, of those shows, is the the creativity that they could. The things that they could create were completely out there, and people would watch it because they hadn't seen everything. Yeah, and they they didn't have YouTube and their shit on their phone and like everything every single day. Well, now half the crowd is filming you on their iPhone. Yeah, yeah, they're looking through their iPad, their giant, their giant uh, iPad. It looks like they're sacrificing their computer to the sun gods (laughs) every time. Yeah, it's like why you why you you know. You know, you're trying to power this thing with solar power? Oh, you're filming me. Okay. Oh, thanks. Great. Put this on YouTube, and in five years, it'll get 14 views. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. What do you... Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so how, what do you think about you, what, your future in street theater? Well, I'm trying this new character. I was just kind of screwing around with the kind of Leroy from Alabama, and I, I was just kind of doing my, my show. I did that a couple weeks ago and went really good. So I kind of just did, you know, I did it there. Instead of doing the English thing, I was like, I'll try doing that. So I might, I might give that a go for a bit. I got a cowboy hat. I might get some cowboy boots and kind of just do similar show. Maybe try to learn a new trick or two. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. So you're going to stick with the straight jacket chains? Well, well I'll, for the time being, unless something kind of happens, I'll learn some new skills. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll learn how to rope spin a bit. Yeah. That kind of thing. But street, honestly, like, is kind of a secondary thing for me as far as financially it's still my first thing but you know I do get a bit more passion doing stand up or or acting um, even though I still love street yeah we've like, done it for so long I've done it for like 20 years and I feel like okay crazy. And how not, and you're not that old I'm, not that, and I'm still not that old I'm well you started when you were 16 yeah 36 so yeah it's um but it's amazing. Street is amazing, and the people I know are, are amazing. So, yeah, it's a great community. Of it's friends. amazing. We know every, everywhere we go. You everywhere know, you go, you got a place to stay or somebody you know, and it's, it's where not many other pl- things you could you could say that. No, and there's always one degree of separation because if you don't know that person, one of your friends knows that person, and it's almost like you vouch for them. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, hey, cool. Yeah, you know, stand up. It's almost like 
backstabbing. It's and, so backstabbing. Yeah. And you can't even, yeah. like, stay at somebody's, like, like I don't know how many comics place I can stay at. Yeah, true. But street uh, performers stay at all their places. Yeah. Stand-ups, fuck yourself, sleep on the street. I'm jealous. <laughs> uh, now, you're just doing your, your Leroy voice, and uh, amongst the street performer community, I think we all know that you're pretty good at doing impressions of us. Yeah, yeah. As a community. Um, I'll throw some names out there. Right, and uh, let me hear you. Uh, you do your best job at an impression of that performer. Sure. But let's just. I'm not going to give you an easy one at first. Okay. Um, you got Daniel Oldacre. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you going? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, kill. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That doesn't have to be sentences. All right, let's go with. Uh, well, let me hear a bit of Bill Ferguson. You know what? I, I, Byron does impressions of me, and <laughs> I don't like it. All right, so from Bill, Tim Motley. Mmm. Well, well, well. And diddy, diddy. Mmm. Shoo, shoo. <laughs> ha. Mmm. Huh. <laughs> How about Al? Al Miller? Yeah, mate. Best one ever. You don't want to know, mate. Just depends on the performer. Broke my biggest head again for the third time today. Then a supermodel blew me. Yeah, mate. That would have been like ten years ago. That was ten years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, Sorry, Tina. <laughs> I'm sure she's listened to this. Yeah. Uh, well, you were uh, just recently with Sparky Mark in London. Yeah. So let's get a little bit of Sparky Mark. So, hey, mate. Hey, oh, my God. How much money did you spend? What? You spent 20p? Oh, you could have spent 10p. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll stay in London. How about uh, Alex Dandridge? Oh, fucking hell. I'm just... Oh, I'm just an alcoholic. Gay street performer who's miserable. That's my existence. Well, uh, one of your influences, we can give me a little gazzo. Oi. Boy, if if it's too tight, <laughs> what did Beck Gazzle say to me? He's just like, when you're with a girl, if it's too tight, if it's, no, it was too loose, try putting it in the pussy. <laughs> Boy. Uh, let's get a bit of your favorite, Sean, Fight Boy. <laughs> Magic Brian is a well known molester. <laughs> Likes to fiddle, doesn't he? <laughs> Likes to touch. <laughs> Big dick, slick tricks. <laughs> Magic Brian, huh, she's alright, can't stand him, he's my best friend, he's a fucking idiot, isn't he? She's a smart bloke. Shay Hooray? Yeah, Shay, Shay kind of sounds, well no, Alright, really... Sean, just do Sean then, Sean Basketball Jones. Basketball Jones, yeah, uh, me and Michelle are going to make, maybe think of making some banana bread, if we could be bothered, but Piper came over with some weed, and we couldn't be bothered, so just played some Xbox instead, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Now throw out something that you like to do. Somebody I like to do. One of our friends do you like to do a bit of? Uh, what do I like to do? Brant, fire guy? Yeah, let's hear some Brant. Right, 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 right. Oh my god, seriously. I know. Right. Tupon, who's in love with you? Yeah, Tupon. Oh, Magic Brian. I can't believe this man. These people here, they're so close-minded, man. I can't stand this place, okay? Come on, please. Like, get, just find this shit. I only drink French wine, okay? Come on, man. Don't be <laughs> like that, okay? <laughs> 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 
Now, that was the uh, different than Marky's. They're <laughs> 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 close. They're close. We're yeah. Close. Sometimes they kind of bleed into each other. Uh-huh. Some voices just sort of, you know. Okay, one last one. Okay. Checkerboard guy. Great! Living the dream! Doing a podcast? Great! Nothing ever bad happens to me! Great! Wow! Bright and sunny! Every day! Awesome! High five! Hey, Dave, I just found out I got full-blown AIDS. Great! Yeah, seriously, uh, I just found out I have uh, incurable uh, uh, warts on my on my anus, and uh, they're causing an extreme amount of pain, and the doctor said they could do nothing about it. Awesome! Great! High five! Fantastic. Yeah. That's good. Anything you want to leave the listeners with, Byron? Uh, Magic Brian. He's a great guy. Um, it's great to be here in New York City. Uh, street performing is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It brings everybody together. Uh, it's an amazing community, and it's, uh, it, it, it's yeah, it's fantastic. Despite the frustrations, uh, I, I live a very lucky and wonderful life, and I'm surrounded by an amazing community uh, of amazing talent from all around the world. And I'm a very fortunate, blessed man. Yes, you are. Thank you, Byron. Thank you. Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these stories. This episode is proudly sponsored by Bottom Line Productions, Inc. Bottom Line Productions is an Edmonton-based arts marketing company founded in 1993 by Darka Tarnowski. One of Bottom Line's first clients was the Edmonton International Street Performers Festival. 22 years later, Darka and her team at Bottom Line continue to promote the festival and the amazing artists that are a part of the event each July. In her own words, she says, Throughout my years in the arts business, nothing makes me happier than the street artists I have the privilege of meeting at Street Fest each year. Their talent, their courage, unique stories, their sense of humor and humility. It's a treat for me to juggle the media and put the artists in the spotlight every summer in Edmonton. For more information about Bottom Line Productions, please visit www.bottomlinepro.com. And huge thanks to Darka for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please do consider swinging by the Busker Hall of Fame and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Your contributions really do allow us to grow this resource and generate more content, so thanks in advance for supporting this project. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Simply go to the podcast library, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. And while you're there, please do consider leaving a review and giving us a five-star rating. It'll take just a minute or two, and it means the world to our production team. Got a story to tell? Something you think we could improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor of an upcoming episode? If so, drop me a line at cbg at buskerhalloffame.com. Haven't gotten enough Busker Hoff content yet? Well, then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash buskerhalloffame. Follow us on Twitter, Yappy, SoundCloud, and YouTube, or sign up for our newsletter. Links to all of these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. And just before wrapping things up, Byron shares his thoughts on the laws that govern spatial arrangement and orientation vis-a-vis street performing. You know, the thing about street performing is certain places are just naturally better than others because yeah. there's more flow, there's more focus. Some pitches, it seems like they'll even get offended, but then if you go a few hundred meters over there, they're fine, then yeah. they get it. 
Yeah. They'll just be like, why are we such a shit crowd? Because we're over here. Mm-hmm. If we were over there, we'd, we'd be, be great. A, we'd be great. It's yeah. like, why are you so shit? Because we're here. That's so weird. I know, it's so weird. It's like there's this feng shui. Yeah. On behalf of myself, Executive Director Lindsay Lindbergh, Associate Producer Magic Brian, who went above and beyond the call of duty on this episode, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And as you perform for audiences around the world, please remember to use your superpowers for good. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy. Thanks for listening. You know what, kid? You see an act that works, just rip it off and do it.